Welcome to the Post-COVID Church Podcast with your host, Stuart Kellogg. Thank you for joining today. My guest, Michael Craven, Director of the Colson Fellows Program at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. He's a nationally recognized worldview expert and Christian apologist defending the faith. In 2007, Michael founded the Center for Christ and Culture, where his popular weekly commentaries grew to reach more than 2 million readers. In 2009, Michael authored his critically acclaimed book, Uncompromised Faith, Overcoming Our Culturalized Christianity, and we'll be talking a lot about that topic today. Prior to joining the Colson Center, Michael served for five years as the president of Bridge Builders, an inner city ministry in South Dallas, where he pioneered a missional strategy for transforming the culture of poverty into a culture of flourishing. Michael lives in the Dallas area with his wife and three children, and may I add, a first grandchild just arrived. Welcome, Michael. That's right. Thank you, Stuart. Great to be with you. Before we get in talking about the post-COVID church and how that how you see it changing, I'd love to know a little about Bridge Builders, uh, the work you did in Dallas. Yeah, Bridge Builders was uh, one of the largest inner city ministries in the state of Texas, if not, if not the country, and uh, had been working in one of the um, poorest communities in South Dallas for the last 20 years by the time I got involved. Um, sadly, the founder of the ministry passed away prematurely due to cancer, and uh, uh, I had been working with him to uh, implement an economic strategy, uh, basically creating some businesses, the sole purpose of which was to hire folks that were traditionally unemployable uh, and use that platform to not only give them employment, but also disciple them, make disciples, give them uh, not only spiritual formation, but some practical skills that would help them to thrive and flourish and prosper and, and restore what sin had broken in their lives. And it was a, a marvelously successful uh, approach, albeit difficult. Um, and, and, and ultimately what it comes down to is what I deal with today, which is worldview. Um, we have such a misunderstanding of poverty in America, especially. Um, much of what passes for poverty in this country is, is directly attributable to a worldview that is, that is held by a, a subcultural group. And if you're born into that culture, if you have the, frankly, the misfortune of being born into a culture where you imbibe on this worldview and it informs your choices, informs your decisions, you are going to repeatedly experience negative outcomes family dissolution, high rates of criminality, drug abuse, drug and substance abuse, um, low academic achievement, all of these things. And, and the only reason for these things is that the culture formed owes its origin to that way of interpreting reality. These things become acceptable. And as the old philosopher once said, you cannot continue to go against the grain of the universe and not expect to get splinters. Let's talk about worldview. We've had several uh, guests, including John Stone Street, your boss, <laughs> talk about worldview. How do you um, uh, define it, if you will? That's a great question. It's a, it's, it's a hard thing to define, to be quite honest. I define it this way. If we, if we think about what took place in the fall, there followed a progressive break in four relationships. Man's relationship with God, his relationship with himself, relationship with others, and ultimately our relationship to creation. 
all of this is is severed, it's broken, it's ruined, and the consequence is is deleterious. It is destructive. It is downward, always downward. Um, Christ comes into the world. God comes into the world in flesh, the incarnation, to set right all that sin has set wrong. So he is restoring those four relationships, our relationship to God. He's healing our relationship to ourselves, all of our insecurities, fears, inner doubts, failures, moral and otherwise. Um, he's, he's, he's enabling us to love others without fear or reservation. And finally, he is restoring our understanding of how his creation is ordered and our participation in the maintenance of that order. Um, and in, in worldview, you know, if, if you take those four relationships, probably for the last 150 years, uh, the church's emphasis has been on what we call spiritual formation. And it focuses primarily on those first two relationships, helping people understand how they can obtain a right relationship with God. Of course, that's very important. It's vital to all the other relationships. There's no hope of restoration of any of the other three. Uh, the remaining three, without that first and foundational relationship, men and women must be reconciled to God, their creator. And Jesus Christ is the only means by which that happens. And then we learn that, that, you know, God comes into our lives and he begins to heal us. And there is this, this therapeutic dimension to the gospel. We, we experience healing and, and setting to right all that has, that has diminished our humanity. Um, and this is really important for the Christian to spend a great deal of time and, and, and effort in, in their sanctifying uh, life or sanctification to really grow in these areas. But oftentimes in our churches, we neglect these remaining two relationships. How do I live in right relationship to people, uh, everyone else in the world? What does it mean to be human? Um, and and how, is, how do we share a common humanity? And finally, how do I live in right relationship to creation? What, what is God's intended purpose in creation? What, what is, how does he want things to be ordered? How does he want our economic life to be ordered? How does he want uh, our scientific discovery to be ordered? How has he ordered the universe in such, that it, in such a way that it actually accommodates scientific discovery? Um, you know, what is education supposed to be like? What is its purpose? What is the family supposed to be like? What is human sexuality supposed to be like? All of these things are part of God's created order. Uh, so if you think of it this way, the first two relationships really deal with our, our personal theology. Um, our, our, our sanctifying theology. The latter two really deal with our public theology. How do we live outside ourselves and, and participate in God's redemptive work in the world? And you can't really do a very good job of that participation if you don't know what the world is supposed to be like. And let's talk a little about that. My guest, Michael Craven, director of the Colson Fellows Center, focusing on helping Christians develop a Christian worldview Please explain what the uh, Colson Fellows program is and how it helps solve that problem you just outlined. Okay. Well, the origin of this program really goes back to Chuck Colson. And as most people know, Chuck Colson started Prison Fellowship, which was then and remains to this day the largest prison ministry in the world. And while Chuck was ministering in the prison, he it became very apparent to him that the, the men and women with whom he was uh, encountering and having a relationship and, and, 
and, and ministering to, many of their issues that landed them in prison had their origin upstream in culture. Like I just described earlier when we're talking about poverty, if you're born into a culture, and understand culture is the, is the external expression of our internal values and beliefs, our worldview in essence. And, and so you have different cultures that emanate from these different ways of interpreting reality, determining what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. Um, but we know that there is but one standard for what is true and good and beautiful, and this standard is God himself. And so if, 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 if this is the source of origin, then one element of our discipleship must include uh, worldview formation. We've, we've really got to spend some time thinking about our right relationship to others and to creation. So Chuck started the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. And, and out of that was born this idea that we need to create a program. He needed to create a program whereby we could bring men and women into a year-long experience, a very intensive learning experience, and um, take them on a deep dive into understanding that right relationship with others and creation. So they could then go back out into their respective roles in society and exercise that influence and in his case, he was looking at folks that were already serving in the commanding heights of culture, traditional leadership roles. So it was really an intensive leadership development program for the Christian, training Christian leaders to think Christianly. Um, and then, of course, Chuck sadly passed away. Um, and uh, upon doing so, the program went on a two-year hiatus. And we just really weren't sure that it was going to come back. Um, but John reached out to his uh, good friend and mentor, Bill Brown, Dr. Bill Brown, and uh, asked him to come in and resurrect the program, which he did. And, and Bill crafted something that was um, relevant to the times because they're always changing and, um, and really moved away from this intensive leadership development program to more of an intensive um, whole life discipleship program the result of which uh, is to equip somebody with this robust public theology. So it's no longer limited to those that are serving in traditional roles of leadership. It, it, it's for every Christian that really wants to grow in wisdom, uh, know how to live faithfully and, and courageously in a post-Christian, post-truth, and increasingly hostile um, culture, hostile to Christianity at least. I had the uh, pleasure of studying under Chuck Colson, one of the one of the early ones, and changed my whole look mm -hmm. on life. But I have found uh, in going to many churches and speaking, there just isn't that great desire to learn more beyond what you said. Those first two steps, my relationship with Jesus and, and my soul, to learn more and move on. So, how does that change? Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the, um, the biggest problems we face in the American church and in American evangelicalism in particular is, is we have this very truncated view of the gospel, this reductionist view of the gospel. We have cut the gospel off from the kingdom. Um, in fact, you don't, you don't hear people use the phrase that Jesus and the apostles used repeatedly, which was the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. We just say the gospel. 
And, and I think what we more often than not mean by that is, is salvation. Uh, and we conflate salvation to being the same as the gospel. They're not the same. Salvation is part of the gospel. But the good news is the announcement of God's inbreaking rule and reign through Christ Jesus that began 2,000 years ago, that the king has come and he has begun to establish his kingdom and he is gathering for himself a people. He has been for 2,000 years, and he is marshalling these people, breathing his spirit through these people to bear witness to his kingdom to a dying world. Um, and, 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 and this people, we, the church, live in such a way that we bear witness to this is what life looks like under the rule and reign of Christ. And so it's a much bigger story than just my personal salvation. You know, we, we capture this in this, this oft-quoted phrase in evangelicalism, I invited Jesus into my life. Now, I understand the intensely personal sentiment that that, that statement is intended to reflect, um, because it is an intensely personal experience. However, that's not an accurate way of describing the gospel. It's, it's really more accurately understood as, as Jesus is inviting us into his life and his purpose and his kingdom. That's the, that's the call of, of the apostles was repent and enter the kingdom of God. And we're called then as, as followers of Christ to do more work, not work, that's right. day, but to do more work to fulfill yeah. that. Yeah, so, so, so with that truncated gospel, what we end up having is we sort of have what I would call a pilgrim theology. We're just people passing through. But in reality, what we're supposed to possess and what the Bible teaches is that we ought to be uh, possessors of a kingdom theology, that everything that you see, touch, taste, feel, everything belongs to our Lord and the King above all other kings, the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. And the future we read about in Revelation is not us going up there. It's, it's, it's heaven descending and God dwelling once again with men. That's the future. And we're to offer a sign and foretaste of that future in the present. And you believe it's more important than ever, one, because of what's happening to the culture, but you also feel you're, you've been very blunt about it, that you think the culture has gone off the cliff and, and the focus has to be on strengthening the church. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think there comes a time in every generation where you have to ask, um, you know, is... is where are we in this cultural slide? Um, <laughs> and, and I think every cultural social marker at, at, that is present right now is a pretty strong indicator that we've, we've passed certain milestones from which no prior civilization has ever recovered uh, without first going all the way to the bottom. Uh, Rome would be a stunning example. It'd be a very close parallel. So you have the, simultaneously, you have this, this decadent civilization that is in rapid moral decline over the course of about 250 years. And simultaneously, you have the rise of this fledgling little religious movement called Christianity or the way, the way of God. Um, and the growth that was being experienced in those first centuries by the church is nothing short of, of staggering, miraculous. 
um, every decade it's growing 30%. It's just, it's just incomprehensible. Up until the point it actually conquers the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire is ultimately Christianized. But by, but by that time, it was too late. Those social milestones, those markers, those cultural markers had already been passed. The decadence was too, too deeply ingrained. The rot was, was down to the bone and the civilization just could not survive. And so the civilization collapses. The church continues to go on. The church has to figure out new ways to be the church in, in, the, in the period following the collapse of the Roman Empire. And, and one of the ways that you see that manifested was the establishment of the monastic system in which the church, you know, not only protects and preserves, but transmits the Christian faith to subsequent generation, to a subsequent generation that would then go on to rebuild out of the ruins of Rome, the most successful civilization the world has ever seen. My guest, Michael Craven, director of the Colson Fellows Center focusing on helping Christians develop a Christian worldview. Uh, you believe uh, the American church is going to be persecuted. Um, why do you say that and how bad do you think it'll get? Well, I think it's already begun. Um, and and I, don't, I don't think it's going to be the kind of persecution that uh, we, we read about frequently around the world or, or throughout history. Um, but I think it will be for most Americans, it'll be at a point of, of particular pain and pressure because it'll be largely economic. And we're already seeing that. I mean, wasn't it just yesterday that uh, uh, a Christian ministry was, was thrown off of Twitter because they, they dared to question the sexual orthodoxy of, of the culture? Um, you know, they, they pointed out that a man who thinks he's a woman is a man who thinks he's a woman. And, and that was a, evidently a violation of, of sexual orthodoxy and worthy of punishment. And uh, so he is silenced and cancel culture imposes its will. And, you know, a, a major platform is denied uh, to this Christian ministry. So it's already begun. Um, and, it's, and it's regional. I live in Dallas. You know, Dallas is an interesting place. It's, it's typical of, of, of um, you know, Texas and, and throughout the South, there's sort of this, you know, as one person who was visiting here once told me, you know, it's, it's in Texas or in Dallas, everybody's either a Christian or an ax murderer. It's like there's nothing in between. <laughs> and, and what they're saying is, is that there is this general cultural assumption that if you're a good person, you're a Christian. Um, and, and, and Christianity is, in, in, you know, in its, in its cultural form is perfectly acceptable. Um, it's welcomed, it's, it's encouraged, it's associated with being conservative, uh, being moral, having good values, uh, being, a, being, a, being a fine American. And, and that's all well and good, but as we all know, Christianity is so much more than that. Being a disciple of, of the risen Christ is a, is a significantly more important thing than, than your citizenry. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's already here in other parts of the country. You go to the East Coast, the, uh, the West Coast, highly secularized area. Um, there's no such thing as cultural Christianity in those, those places. It, it's too costly to pretend to be a Christian in those places. So how do you see our whole focus is on the post-COVID church? So how do you see it? Pandemics finally taken over uh, because of the vaccine uh, taken out, I should say, and, and we're back to sort of normal living. 
uh, but will never be back to the normal, and that includes the church. How do you see the church? Smaller, stronger, different, fractionalized? Well, again, I, I, I want to be very clear. None of this renders me pessimistic in the slightest. Um, in fact, I would say after, after 20 years of laboring in the service of the church to see the renewal, the rebirth, the strengthening of the church so that, that God raises up a, a, a vigorous body in this nation, I'm more encouraged than I've ever been. Um, and I, I, I think that is only possible due to the pressure imposed by the persecution, by the marginalization, by the, um, you know, the, the, the pulling back of the veil and the pretense and saying, you know what, we're not even going to pretend to be Christian anymore. We don't like you. We don't like what you stand for. We stand in direct opposition to all your claims as Christians. Well, the line of demarcation is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. And what you're going to see is you're going to see the destruction of cultural Christianity. Um, and out of that will, will remain uh, vibrant, historic, orthodox Christianity. Um, I, rem I remember hearing our Wilberforce uh, Award winner uh, last year saying when the communists took over in China in 49, Christianity before then was legal, and there were about a million uh, Christians. And then the communists tried to wipe out the church, and you know, fifty years later, there are forty million of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what you're saying. It'll be tougher, but uh, the church will be stronger. Yeah, and I'm, I again, I, I remain so encouraged because I we we hear from so many people. Um, you know, suffice it to say, the interest in what we do at the Colson Center has has <laughs> ramped up exponentially. Um, people are, are awakening to certain harsh realities that we find ourselves um, confronted with, such as this, this pretty significant shift in our culture, really within the last 12 months, astonishingly. Um, you know, as I said, the, the, the veil has been ripped back, the, the pretense is gone. Um, you know, both sides are clear. We, we know who's who. <laughs> the players are getting identified. And, and um, a key part of that is getting the players on the team. So will you explain uh, those who are listening who want to be a Colson fellow, uh, the new class is going to start in August, yeah. how they can uh, get in touch. So we actually just opened up applications for the 2021 academic year yesterday. Um, so they can go to our website, colsonfellows.org and uh, learn all about the program, it gives you plenty of detail about the program. Um, it starts officially August 1st. We open up the learning platform um, August 1st. There is some pre-reading um, that, that begins in July. So we recommend that students get their applications in no later than June 1st. Uh, so there's time to um, um, review those. Students will participate in the program through, through one of, of, of a number of formats, uh, primarily our regional cohorts. We've got 50 regional cohorts around the country. Uh, and these are groups of commissioned Colson Fellows led by groups of commissioned Colson Fellows. And they meet each month during the course of the program, 10 month program, again, begins in August, but, um, completes uh, the following May. But each month you're gathering with your fellow students and with your cohort leadership team members uh, to, to process, verbally process in real time, what it is that you're studying, what you're learning. Um, and you're learning in community. We find that this is the one, this is the way God has designed us. 
That's why he gathers us in the church. He wants us to learn in community. Um, it's, it's, it's much more effective. You know, when you, when you study and, and learn in isolation, you can believe that you've got it all right. <laughs> it's, it's only when you're with other people that they go, nah, I don't think that's what that means. Um, and you learn some things. So, um, so you go through these 10 months. Uh, there are about 14 books that uh, students will read uh, that cover a broad spectrum of issues from spiritual formation, such as J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, uh, all the way up to Thaddeus Williams' new book um, about uh, confronting, social, um, confronting social justice. I think that's the name of it. Um, but really delving into some of the issues that we're confronted with today, such as Black Lives Matter, and, and what, are to, what are we to think about race and racism in this country? Are we a racist country? Is there systemic racism? Uh, where does it exist? How do we identify it? Uh, what does it mean to be racist? Is, is, you know, do we carry these things too far? These are really important questions that we're all wrestling with as a society right now, and I'm not sure there are a lot of clear answers out there. Um, well, the Bible offers us some very clear answers, and you've got to be able to mine the scriptures. This is why we refer to it as a Christian worldview and not a biblical worldview, because there's a lot of things the Bible does not speak to directly. So you have to pull from a theological foundation and, and formulate a, a theologically sound philosophy or response to situations. And that's ultimately what the, uh, and what, that's what the Bible calls wisdom. It's the ability to discern what is true and good and beautiful. And that's ultimately the goal of the program. It's not to equip people with uh, worldview as a polemic. In other words, a set of arguments so you can win those debates, those, uh, those much anticipated debates that occur every Thanksgiving, right? Um, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's really to give you a, a, a skill, uh, an analytical skill, a theologically informed analytical skill that helps you discern in any situation in response to anything, what is the truth here? Is this good? Is it bad? Is it, is it beauty? Is it ugly? Um, using the standards that God has given us and the understanding of reality that God gives us. Well, it's a terrific program, and I hope folks, and I'll put a link uh, as well, uh, so they can click to it and, and look at it, and then hopefully apply. Uh, my guest, Michael Craven, director of the Colson Fellows Center. Thank you for joining the Post-COVID Church Podcast. My pleasure. Good to be with you, Stuart. Our mission, helping the church plan and serve the post-pandemic world. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. You can find much more at the Post-COVID Church group on Facebook or on the website, thepostcovidchurch.com.